Praise the Lord. Hey, we are in Romans, right? Are you in Romans? Still going through the Bible, and uh, like I said, we're taking a little time, and we're getting into some stuff today. I'll, I'll save the preview till when I get there. Let's kind of catch up. So far, we have read uh, Paul's summary of the fallen state of humanity and the case that he makes that all of us are guilty before God. And, that, and, and then his particular case that even the Jews who have the law are guilty makes a special point that they who have the law should be even more aware of their guilt because it's been spelled out for them. And to nail his point down that circumcision doesn't save them, he reminds them, as we saw last week, that Abraham, we saw, had righteousness imputed to him, not because of circumcision, but because he believed God. That statement that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness was made before the covenant of circumcision, and the circumcision was a sign of that relationship, not the cause of it. We have a similar, they're, they're, they're not exactly uh, comparable, but, uh, but there's a similarity the Christian's relationship with baptism. We are not saved because we are baptized. We are saved because we believe and confess, right? And the baptism is what we do as part of the uh, walking out of that, following Christ in baptism and, and uh, demonstrating our belief in his word by obeying him in water baptism. And, uh, and let me just throw this out there now. We, we, we should probably schedule a baptismal service. If you have come to Christ, if you have confessed and believed, been born again, and not yet been water baptized, please uh, contact us, shoot me an email, let the church office know, and we will, uh, we will uh, get a list, okay? Anyway, there's that parallel between circumcision and baptism. But we also saw uh, that our faith... Uh, whether or not we are in faith during a, a, a crisis, during a moment, during a faith adventure, uh, whether we're in faith or not is going to be determined by our view of God himself. Romans chapter 4 was all about Abraham and Sarah receiving the promise of Isaac. And, that, and we saw in Hebrews 11.11 11, that it was actually not the logic of the promise itself that moved them to believe. They were old. They had a huge, that was the big barrier between what God said and what they were able to believe and, and the reality of the situation. Wow, you know, God said we were going to have a son. Here's the problem. We are old. We are past the age of childbearing. And yet, how did they receive? How did Sarah receive in herself the ability to conceive? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. And it's our view of God himself that is going to take us across the threshold into faith. One of the statements from last week that I hope you remember is that you are not in doubt just because you consider the circumstances. But you are not in faith just because you know the promise. You are in faith when you remain loyal to the promise of God even in spite of contrary circumstances. Okay? So that brings us up uh, through last week. And now we get ready to get into some really meaty doctrine. The next four chapters really are the core of the book of Romans. This is where he really spells things out doctrinally. And therefore, uh, it's maybe not the most exciting reading for some people. Uh, but these are... Uh, 
if not the most, certainly some of the most discussed passages in church history. They go to the very heart of what it means to be a Christian, what salvation is, and what God expects of us in terms of holiness and our response to sin, our response to temptation, and our response to his mercy and grace. Uh, It should also be noted before we get into this, that there is not universal agreement on certain passages. I'll do my best to point some of these passages out uh, when we come to them. But let's go ahead and start in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, the first thing I want you to see is the word justified. And uh, I've got a little note here that I've written in the margin. It says, declared righteous. Declared righteous. And so having been justified by faith, you know, we... We hear the word justified, and we think, immediately think in terms of self-justification or justification by extenuating circumstances or stu- uh, stuff like that. We're justified, declared righteous only by faith in the finished work of Christ. But it's, we, we have to understand, though, it's still full justification because of the finished work of Christ. God is able to see us as righteous. All right? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, peace used in this sense is peace as opposed to war, an end to the state of hostility between God and man. Uh, God, you know, we, we see a lot of references to the wrath of God being poured out on sin. And for us, Jesus took all of that. He took all the wrath of God that was poured out on sin at the cross. So if we are in him, that's already been done. That's already been taken care of. Okay, the the, the wrath that we deserve because of the sin that was in us, Jesus took. And therefore, God's wrath is satisfied and we are justified. Um, But, you know, know, James says uh, that friendship with the world is enmity with God. That if we are going to be friends, not, we're not talking about, he's not talking about having friends who are not saved. He's talking about being immersed and friendly with the world system, with the Antichrist world, uh, uh, world system, anti Christian sentiment. And if we're going to buy into that whole system, <clears throat> it says you've made yourself an enemy of God in terms of putting yourself back under that kind of condemnation. So Paul is saying this is exactly the opposite of what's happening here. Because of our faith in Christ, because of the justification that's ours through that faith, we have peace with God and end to those hostilities. Through whom also we have access by faith, verse 2, into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, there's a lot uh, of stuff wrapped up in this word grace. But it's because of Jesus who secured this peace we have with God, that we also have access to the very grace of God by which we stand, by which we live this Christian life. What I want you to understand is Paul is going way beyond, not just in this letter, but in all of his writings, way beyond just saving us from hell. He uses the word save 
uh, in, in at least two different senses here. But since we have peace with God, we've been justified, declared righteous. We don't have to worry about hell anymore. But it's not just that. We also have access to the, the same grace that saves us, enables us to live this out. There's so much in this word and this concept of grace. We had a whole class at Rhema called Understanding Grace. Tony Cook taught it, and it was one of everybody's favorites. It's a rich, rich subject. But there are, you know, the riches of the glory of God belong to us. His power, uh, his friendship. There's so much more in grace for the Christian here on earth than just not being afraid of hell. Uh, let's, let's move on here because he'll, he'll, like I said, he keeps kind of coming back to that concept. In, uh, in verse 3 it says, and not only that, But we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And uh, many of you have experienced this. We know that going through tribulation can build hope, hope, should build hope, if we go through it. Once we're on the other side of it, we have a measure of confidence that we didn't have before, uh, knowing that he means what he says when he's going to deliver us, when he's going to take us through these things. And uh, Many of you were here for the Pastor Hagen meetings, and he said when Monday night when he was when he sat here and shared the story of his father's ministry as far back as he could remember, like age three, and the things they walked through as a family. Uh, I've shared with you already, I think, how much that blessed me hearing how they they've had to walk this stuff out. And one of the things that grabbed me was uh, before they really grasped the idea of God's promise of abundant provision. He said, "Now we knew how to get healed." Whenever there were sicknesses in our household, we knew how to deal with that. Well, because, why? Because Brother Hagen was raised up from, from his deathbed as a teenager, cured, uh, healed of an incurable heart disease and a number of other ailments. So he had that down. When it came to speaking the word of faith over a disease in his body, that's just what they did in his house. But it was an adjustment to get to the point where, hey, we can speak to our finances as well. We can speak to our needs because there are promises in the Bible that address that. And then once you've experienced victory in an area, that builds your hope, builds your character. Once you've come through that, you have confidence. Hey, we can do this because we've done it before. One of my favorite stories, as, as many of you know, in the Old Testament is the story of King Asa. Just a story, the account of King Asa, who was one of the good kings of, of Judah. Good king. And very early in his reign, you remember, uh, he went out to meet an army that was at least double the size of his own. The Ethiopians were coming at him with a million-man army, uh, and he had less than half a million. And it didn't look good, but he prayed, and he trusted God, and he went out confidently in the, in the promise of the Lord and God, like he does. He scatters the enemy, defeats the enemy, and it was this great victory <coughs> that God had clearly won for King Asa, and it just kind of launched him into, into 25 years of good, God-honoring, prosperous uh, kinging, all right? He ruled, he ruled well, and, and, and I, I love the fact that the prophet came out to meet him, and uh, I've observed before that when a prophet came out to meet a king, sometimes that wasn't such a good scene. The prophet's coming out to confront or something like that. This time the prophet just met him to say, good job, Asa. You keep doing what you're doing and God's with you. What a great thing to hear. I've got a word for the Lord for you. Oh, no. You know, remember how we used to 
duck into the bathroom when we saw Brother Hagin walking down the hall in case he had a word for you, you know, something like that. You start confessing, unconfessed sin, whatever. No, man, he came out to King Asa and said, just want to let you know the Lord approves what you're doing, how, how, how you're handling this. You keep doing what you're doing. God's with you. Kingdom's going to be blessed. <clears throat> and so on the strength of that word, he redoubles his efforts. He clears the land of idols. And for 25 years, things are going great until, guess what? Another enemy army, <coughs> excuse me, shows up on the horizon. A big enemy army. Oh no, what do we do? What'd you do before? Well, we trusted God. And he defeated the enemy army. So what are you going to do this time? I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. The Bible doesn't really have this conversation. What are you going to do this time? Well, I don't know. Can't do that again. So I guess we'll uh, hire some of our enemies to fight this, uh, fight this battle for us. So they do that. And then the prophet comes and says, uh, you remember when you had this same problem 25 years ago? And how the, the, they had an even bigger army. The Ethiopians, this was you. This wasn't your dad. This wasn't somebody else. You did this. And you trusted God and he delivered you. Why didn't you do that this time? Why did you invite this enemy army in? Because I was going to use you to judge them. And now I can't because you've got a covenant. You've got a treaty with them. You forgot something. You forgot that the eyes of the Lord are always on those whose heart is completely his. They search to and fro throughout the earth to find this person so that he can strongly support them. But because you've forgotten this, from here on out, you're going to have wars. Now, once you've been through a war, once you've been through a tribulation and gotten the victory, don't ever forget how you got that victory. This isn't some movie or comic book where we have to come up with some brand new creative way of fighting each battle. What worked before, what worked yesterday will work today because God's word doesn't change. God is still God. He doesn't change. You spoke to that situation. You spoke to that ailment. You spoke to that need. And it worked. You got the victory. And it comes back a year later, five years later, ten years later. Oh, no, I'm facing another crisis. I'm back in debt. This disease is back. Or it's a new disease. It's a new problem. Uh, Oh, no, I guess it didn't work. (coughs) Yeah, it did. And it'll work again. And this should be part of our character. It should be the way we should be defined. One of the things that should define us and describe us. What do you got there? Oh, thank you. Well, now you're going to hear this clicking around in my teeth. It's all right. Better than hearing me cough every uh, minute and a half, right? I'm healed in Jesus' name, by the way. And, And this is just, I breathed a lot of dirt yesterday in the garden and mowing. I think that's what I'm dealing with here. Anyway, praise the Lord. So... People should identify us and recognize when they speak to us, when they observe us, that, hey, this person has a confidence in God that is amazing. He doesn't get, she doesn't get upset. They don't seem to worry at all. Wish I had that kind of peace. And we should. We should be demonstrating that. It should be not just something we do from time to time. It should be what? Part of our character. And once we've developed that character, that continues to build hope in us. Why? Look at this next verse. I want to spit this out. Hold your hand out, baby. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Verse 5, still in chapter 5. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. 
For while we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is something we really need to remind ourselves of often. Otherwise, we really risk falling into the same attitude that the Old Testament Jew really couldn't escape from. We're blessed. Why? Because God loves us. Why does God love us? Well, he just, uh, he's, uh, we're his favorite, I guess. This is, this is the Old Testament Jew's mindset. We're God's favorite. We're favored. Therefore, we're blessed. You know, And never stopping to realize they did nothing to deserve that. It wasn't like they'd earned God's approval. There was nothing in and of themselves. God chose Abraham to be the one through whose lineage Christ would come. That was Israel's purpose, to show the rest of the world the goodness of God. <coughs> and we get saved. We need to recognize that it was God's initiative, not ours. He's the one who made the move. And you think about this. Try to put it in human terms. I was... Uh, our little mini in-the-car devotions on the way to school. I asked Riley a few days ago, uh, think about your best friend or think about the people you really like in this world. <coughs> who would you die for? You know? Uh, who would you take a bullet for? You know, when I was walking through, uh, because even in, uh, I remember at, uh, this was at uh, my officer basic course. <coughs> Excuse me, we were going from range to range. And, you know, we do the, something at the rifle range, and we'd go over to this kind of a round-robin training, and, we, and we'd go, we'd learn about this weapon system, then this weapon system. And every place we went, <coughs> there was a picture and a little uh, description of a Medal of Honor winner. And most of them were posthumous awards, all right? This guy won the Medal of Honor, but he died doing what he did to win the Medal of Honor. Most of these guys were dead because of what they did to win the Medal of Honor. And about half of them, this was at Fort Benning. Chris, I'm sure you've seen some of these things. About half of them were guys who died protecting the other guys in their fighting position or their squad by throwing themselves on a grenade, literally throwing themselves on a grenade. The most effective way was to throw your helmet on and then lie on top of your helmet, and you would absorb the blast and the shrapnel and protect your comrades. I guarantee you the guys that do that don't do that in the moment for America. Why do they do it? For the men they love that are in that position with them. The guys on their right and on their left. Guys they've been through it with. That kind of loyalty. There aren't too many people in our lives. I'm, I'm speaking you know, as a member of the human race. You know, We're intensely loyal to our family maybe a best friend or two. And this is what Paul's saying. There's not too many people we'd die for. Had to be a really good person. We might even consider dying for them. But then I said, and I didn't ask him to name names. I said, what are people you really could care less about? You know, use the mild term of this, people you wouldn't bother to spit on them if they, weren't on fi- if they were on fire. Talk bad about them. As soon as you mention a name, oh, I can't stand that guy. I can't stand her. I'd do the same thing. Have done the same thing. 
about some of you. No, not about none of you. I feel great. I would die for any of you. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Think about the worst people in your life. And some of, think, um, never mind, never mind the, the petty feelings we have, people who've done bad things to you. This is the state of the relationship between man and God when Christ died for us. He didn't look at the good people who were seeking him, who were reaching for him and say, I'm going to die for them because I just love them so much. It's while we were yet sinners. Christ died in due time for the ungodly. Who did he die for? He died for the men who were driving the nails through his hands and feet. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Can you imagine? Do you see the depth of the love of God? And Paul's still just using this to build to something. Wait till you see it. Read that again, though. God demonstrates, as this verse eight, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now we get into it. Verse nine, much more than having now been justified by, by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we were enemies, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now what's, this, what's the difference between reconciled and saved? See, he's talking about something beyond salvation from hell because if we're reconciled to God, that's it. We're not going to hell. It's by his blood that the price for our sin was paid. But he's talking about saving us from sin in this life. Many people have just the opposite idea of what Paul is saying here. And I've expressed my frustration about this many times. People say, "How you charismatics, you word of faith people, whatever. You're so selfish. <clears throat> it's like it's not enough that Jesus died and saved you from hell. You want more. Oh, you want healing. You want all of your needs met abundantly. You want prosperity. You want deliverance. You want healthy relationships. You want happiness. And Paul's saying, see, all these things, all the things, the sickness, the poverty, the, the, the bondage, all of these things are only in the world, only in your life because of sin in the first place. And he loved you enough while you were his enemy to die, to redeem you, to reconcile and justify you. How much more now that you are in his family, already saved his friend, how much more now is he going to save you from all the effects of that sin? We're on his side now. Why pay such a price, die such a death to redeem us from hell? He loves, why? Because he loves us that much when we were, how we would say, unlovable. Then he puts us in Christ. Christ is easy to love, and that's who he sees when he looks at us. And now he's going to say what? No. No, you can't have that. I did enough for you. I, I, died, I died to save you. I gave my son to save you and everything. But now you just kind of need to suffer through this life to learn some things, perfect yourself through your suffering, <clears throat> and then all the good stuff will come in heaven. There's nothing in the Bible that backs that up. And Paul here is saying exactly the opposite. And this is doctrine, my friends. 
If God did such great things for us while we were enemies, how much more love and grace and manifest goodness can we expect now that we are at peace with him? Uh, Go ahead and skip forward to uh, verse 12 here. Therefore, and this is the point he's going to make again and again and again through the rest of this chapter, so we're not going to read the whole rest of the chapter. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. We'll read a little bit more here in just a second, but there's a lot to unpack there. Let me try to do it quickly. This is a tricky passage because it almost seems to contradict itself. I don't know if you noticed that. And sometimes I wonder, if you didn't notice, maybe I shouldn't open this can. But <laughs> I know some of you did, and I sure did. But let's, So let's look at it. This is a foundational doctrine of Christianity, and so it is important, even if doctrine is not your thing. At the end of this message, I'm going to tell you exactly why <coughs> we need to spend this time. I have been, it was a concern. I remember dad expressed this concern. It was a concern of mine when I started going through the Bible. Uh, as important as I believe these stories are and the knowledge, there was a concern is, especially in the Old Testament, is there going to be enough application to make this meaningful? And I believe there has. I've looked back over these messages. I'm like There's an application every, in everything we've done. We find a way to apply it to our lives today. And now we're in doctrine. And we think, well, this is New Testament stuff. Of course it's applicable. But how do you just apply a truth like this? There's nothing in here telling you what to do. It's just telling you how it is. And just the very word doctrine or theology uh, makes some people sleepy. I'm going to tell you why it's important for a couple reasons at the end here. So hang on. We're, We're not too far away from the end of this message. But this is one of the bedrock truths of Christianity, which is that because Adam sinned, and we are all descended from Adam, we all inherited sin, the sin nature. Adam wasn't created with a sin nature, but Adam sinned by choice. What did he do? He disobeyed the one thing God told him not to do. Put him in this garden, no lack of any kind, and said, you can eat freely all these plants, all these trees, only don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he did. He violated a specific command. I don't know why. Lust of the eyes, lustful pride of life, right? Lust of the flesh. But the problem is, we were all in Adam, right? Right? And therefore, everything, once he became a sinner, everything that came out of him was poisoned by this. It's very much like a blood-borne pathogen. It polluted the entire race. So what we are born with is a sin nature and a propensity to sin. Some people clearly act that out much more uh, vigorously than others do. But it's there for all of us. We know it is because... Even even the people who have greater self-control are recognizing that there are impulses that have to be put down. 
right? So it's this sin nature that we've inherited from Adam. In Adam, all sinned. Just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin, this is still verse 12, thus death spread to all men because all sin. And then in verse 13, this is the, the part that's, that's hard. <clears throat> it says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. So he talks about death reigns from Adam to Moses. What's he saying here? Adam sinned, but there was no law when Adam sinned. But there was a rule. There was a spoken command from God, don't do this. So it's easy to see where Adam sinned. God said, don't do this. Adam did it. Adam and Eve. But then it's a long time from Adam to Moses. Right? Long time. 2,500 years, if, you, if, you, if, it's, if you're just going by, you know, if, we, if we have an accurate, uh, if we know exactly when Adam was, okay, but it's a long time, millennia between Adam and Moses, and Moses is when we get the law. Finally, we get the law that says, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder, have no other gods before me. So in verse 13, it says, sin is not imputed where there is no law, but it says sin was in the world. So the question then we're asking, as I ask when I read this for the 50th time is, how can God hold humanity guilty of sin when there's nothing telling them that it is sin? In fact, he, in fact, he says, sin is not imputed. I'm not sure it's the best word there. <clears throat> so again, the best solution to this apparent dichotomy is context. What does he say again and again and again as he continues to explain this? And here's the best way of understanding it. Look at Scripture itself. All right. There was a, not a law, but a rule, a clear statement from God, don't do this, don't eat from this tree. That rule was violated. What is the next specific sin we see? Uh, you could talk about maybe hiding from God and all this stuff, but it's murder, right? Tell me where did God say don't kill anybody up to that point? It's not recorded. Does that mean that Cain didn't know it was wrong? Did he know? How many of you think he knew it was wrong? How do you know that? Well, for one, we're all human and we just know, right? We're talking about the moral law that God put on our heart. We talked about that in Romans chapter 1. But also because when God went looking for Cain, Cain tried to hide. Cain tried to cover it up. Well, hey, where's, where's your brother? I don't, I don't know. Not my day to watch him. He tried, why did he try to cover it up? Why didn't he just say, I killed him? He's in the, he made me mad. I was jealous, so I, so I hit him with the rock. He's dead in the field. Why? Why do you ask? Why did he try to cover it up? Because he knew it was wrong. So, he, so the best way of understanding the, the, the imputation there is there, might, there was no specific charge, but they were still violating the conscience that God gave them. What the law did was bring a specific set of charges by which we could be tried, accused, and condemned or justified. Let me read to you. I'm, I'm not a, the biggest fan of this. Uh, actually, I, I do. I like the Message Bible. I don't know how many of you have a copy of the Message Bible or read it. It's a good reading Bible. It's not something I would never depend on just the message for study or sermon preparation. But I think he gets it right more than he gets, gets it wrong. I want to share you a little, a little story I heard about this. I'll give you a, 
I was having coffee with a guy who I don't see a whole lot of, a little bit older guy, and he's discovered this uh, several volumes of a commentary that they come in small enough volumes that he can carry them around in his pocket. And they're, they're word studies in the Greek. And he's just kind of, he's, he's a layman, but he's really gotten into these word studies. He says, man, it's really opened my eyes to a lot of stuff in the Bible. He says, you really got to be careful reading this stuff. But he says, but it really makes me appreciate a good Bible translation. You know what? I've realized, oh, wow, this is what this, this Greek word means. And wow, like the New American Standard here, they, that, that's what they say too. But oh my goodness, you ever read the message? I said, yeah, I, I've read the message. He goes, that's, that's, it's not even close. I said, well, you understand it's a paraphrase. It's not a study Bible. I think he kind of gets it. He goes, no, no, no. He said, let me tell you something. <laughs> he goes, you ever, do you know what the message is like? It's like this. He goes, a guy goes to work. You ever hear about that guy? He showed up at work with a black eye. And his coworker said, what happened? He said, oh, it was a misunderstanding. He said, this just shows you the importance of careful communication in the household. I had a misunderstanding with my wife. What happened? He said, well, I meant to ask her, honey, would you please pass the sugar? And the way it came out was, you witch, you've ruined my life. <laughs> he tells me this, and he says, that's what the message is like. And I said, I said, no, no, it's not. It's not that bad. I like the way he puts this, though. In uh, Romans chapter 5. In uh, 12. You know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in. First sin, then death and no one exempt from, neither, from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God in everything and everyone, but the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. That's pretty good, isn't it? So death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God, still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who would get us out. And this is the part that really, he goes, and he phrases it so many different ways. Look, sin and death came to the human race through one man. It was Adam. But forgiveness and life also come to the human race through one man, Jesus Christ. And then bends over backwards to make the point that, and that it's not even an equal opposite thing here. It's not, the gift is so much greater than the offense. Through one man's sin, death and, uh, death entered the equation. We all died in Adam. But we can, all who believe, live in Jesus Christ. It all comes through Jesus. So it does no good to say, it's not fair. You're telling me that I was born with a sin nature, with a proclivity, right? A predisposition towards sin. And now God's going to hold me guilty? It's not like I chose this. I was born with it. The good news is, guess what? You got nothing to do with getting out of it either. So it's not fair. This isn't fair either. 
You don't have to earn your salvation. There's, I've, I've, I've really wrestled, and I'm not good. I'm better at sharing other people's illustrations, other stories. That's why I like to read a lot. But I'm, I'm, I've, I've been casting about for uh, an illustration of the, the, the dilemma we're in. <clears throat> and the closest I can come, and forgive me, it's, it's got holes in it. It's, there's some weaknesses, but at least it's a visual. Uh, you've spent your entire life in the water. You don't have gills. It's not what you were made for but you've spent your entire life in the water because your parents just took you off the ship and dove in one day. And you're enjoying your life in the water. And you're swimming along there. And you don't realize what you are in is a vast, vast river. It's not even the ocean. It's a river that's so wide you can't see either, either bank. And it's deep, deep enough for large vessels. But you are headed toward a deadly waterfall. No matter how much fun, no matter how much you're enjoying splashing around, you are headed towards certain death. And then this luxury, it's a rescue vessel, but it is outfitted like a luxury yacht. It's got everything, everything good, everything you were designed for. Pulls up and somebody hollers from over the bridge, you need to get on this ship, you are going to die. What do you mean? And you explain to them, there are falls ahead. If you stay in this river, you will die. That's what this river leads to. And then you say, well, what are my options? You can stay in the river and die, or you can get on this ship. But I like it in the river. I'm not saying the river's not pleasant. I'm saying it's going to kill you. But you're talking about a completely different life on that ship. One I'm not accustomed to, but it's a good life. It's the light. This is where you're supposed to be. And then you finally shout out, it's not even my fault I'm in the river. It's not, or, uh, uh, why should it be fair that I die? And then you say, you didn't build this ship. You don't have to do anything. We're going to bring you onto the ship. All you have to do is say yes. You don't have to save yourself. We're going to pull you on here. All the work's been done. You don't have to build anything. You don't have to buy anything. You just get on. Everything's been purchased for you. You don't have to get yourself out of this mess. Now, it's not a perfect argument because the, the predisposition for sin doesn't, doesn't relieve us of our free will. We still choose to sin. There are people who are unsaved who are able to resist sinning in many situations. I've quoted Brad Dawson before. He used to say there are people who are better by nature than some people are by grace. And he just means in terms of their behavior. You know that. You know people. They're salt of the earth. Good, good people. But they don't know Christ. And they won't give him glory. So the not my fault is a very weak objection. If you realize you're headed toward death, if you realize you're in sin, uh, the main thing is, what must I do to be saved? The main two points in all of the rest of chapter 5 are, again, all have sinned in Adam. Adam brought the sin nature into the human race. Adam sinned, so I sinned. And the second, that Christ obeyed. He paid the penalty. Just as I didn't have to sin to be a sinner, I don't have to make restitution to God to be righteous. All that has been done. Because I was in Adam, I was a sinner. Because I am in Christ, I am righteous. And the supplementary point is that the saving power of Christ is incomparably greater than the sin of Adam 
in terms of transformation. The sin that I inherited, praise and worship team, you can be on your way up here. The sin that I inherited from Adam manifests itself in ways that are displeasing to God, that are hurtful to you and all the rest of the human race. Because of the sin nature, we are going to have conflict with one another. We're going to hurt one another. We're going to kill one another. Hopefully not in here, but that's why that's what James talks about. What what's the source of wars among you? Chapter five closes with this, verse twenty. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Talks about how the law came. Everybody knew they were sinners. Everybody knew they were wrong, even before the law. The law came in, nailed it down, spelled it out, so that our sin, which no matter what anybody says, they're aware of, now it becomes clear because we have something specific to measure it against. So our sin abounded. It was multiplied. But he said, where sin abounded, grace abounds all the more. When we realize the depth of our sin, which we only can through the law, then we realize the depths of the grace of God and the awesome price that was paid to purchase our salvation. Now, what he's going to get into in chapter 6 is to answer the first question that's on everybody's mind. Well, if an abundance of sin causes grace to abound all the more, how about we just sin all the more? And he's going to tackle that. And that's where we get in building up through, through 6, 7, and 8. I thought we'd get a little further today. We don't need to, though. That's fine. We have time. I just want you to see this. <coughs> I, I promised you an application. One is a simple one. <clears throat> when we're looking at what the Bible says about the transforming power of the righteousness of Jesus Christ as opposed to the destructive power of sin in my life, I want to exercise faith in that. If grace abounds all the more, if the gift, the free gift of eternal life through Christ is greater than the sin nature, as a faith man, I want to speak that over my life. I've said this before several times. When we sense strongly a need for something in our life, sickness is the best example. And if I realize I'm redeemed from sickness, and yet I know I'm sick, I'm going to speak that. Why? Because I want to be well. Thank you, God, for healing me. I, ref- I, I speak to this mountain of sickness in my body. I command it to be gone. It has no right to dwell in me. Jesus Christ bore those stripes in his body so that I wouldn't have to bear sickness in mine. Sickness be gone in Jesus' name, and I'll just speak it, speak it, speak it, speak it daily. Why? Because I want to be free from that. Do you want just as badly to be free from the, from the sin that remains in your life? I do. But the fact is, that's often not as passionate as a, as a desire to be free from sickness as it is to be free from sickness or free from debt. Right? But we realize how hurtful sin is to God, to each other, and to ourselves We should say the grace of God is stronger in my life than the pull of sin. I will not yield to this. Every day, every day, the, the, the grip that sin has on me in this area is loosening. I will not be bound to this. I will make good choices. I will set my mind on things above, not things below. And here's the key. 
when we talk about growing in Christ, there's a, there's a big movement. And it's not, it's not all bad. I just think it, it's, it opens itself up to some dangerous paths. And the phrase, and it's got different, it goes by different names, spiritual, spiritual direction, uh, spiritual formation, or contemplative Christianity, where so much of our Christianity is to sit in quiet and meditate, not on the scriptures, but on ourselves, on the world around us, letting God speak to us through nature, through, and I'm not saying that God can't do these things, but when we spend all of our time gazing inwardly, we are not giving the word the opportunity to transform us. If you're struggling with sin, sometimes the worst thing you can do is get alone somewhere. One of the best protections against sin is to be in the company of believers. And one of the best ways to avoid sin this is so practical. It almost doesn't sound theologically true. It doesn't sound deep enough, but it is absolutely sure. You want to, you want to grow in holiness? Stay busy with the things of God. We can talk about, med- if you're going to meditate, meditate in scriptures. Learn them for a purpose. Don't sit there and think about your sin don't think about, what can I do to strengthen my mind to overcome this? I will not desire that. I will not desire that. And the more you think about it, the more you desire it. But if, you're, if, if instead of, uh, oh, uh, contemplative Christianity, how about we replace that with something like live the gospel and preach the gospel? Why do I need to understand Romans chapter 5 and chapter 6? Why do I really need to understand this idea of the inherited sin nature, in Adam all died. Why do I need to know that? Because if I don't know it, I can't share it. This, I'm telling you, this is not some peripheral idea. This is a core doctrine of Christianity. It's because, it's because of what Paul's writing here that we understand that the entire world needs Jesus. He tells us to go out and preach the gospel to, to every living. Well, why? What if they're happy the way they are? You can be happy swimming in that river on the way to the waterfall, Right? That are going to kill. They need the truth that is going to set them free. We need to know what that truth is. Now, maybe not every single person is going to ask these questions. But if you tell somebody, you get the opportunity to finally speak into their life, why don't you come to my church? Would you be interested in knowing more about Jesus Christ? Well, why would I? Well, the only answer I can give you is from the Bible. Well, I'm not sure I believe the Bible, so why don't you, but why don't you tell me what you mean? Hey, that door's open. Well, the Bible tells us that all have sinned. What do you mean? Well, and then you can go through the old way of the master thing if you want. You ask him, have you ever looked at a woman to lust after her? Have you ever hated somebody? Have you ever spoken? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then according to the Bible, you're a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned. Everybody? Yeah, everybody. How does that happen? Well, it says in Adam, all sinned. We were, all came from Adam. Adam made that choice, and we inherited this sin nature. Take him right to Romans chapter 5. And if they come back with the whole, that's not fair, what do you come back with? Neither was the cross. Maybe you didn't have anything to do with the fact that you're a sinner, but you have nothing to do with the fact that you're a Christian either, except for just believing it. And that's where I want to end, so stand up. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. We'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. 
For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org.